we've been doing two weeks, so this is the second week on generosity. Last week, Carl spoke. If you missed that or you weren't here, you can catch that on YouTube. All of our stuff is online, and uh, you'll be able to catch what he talked about. And this morning builds on that as we look at money uh, and generosity, um, as I say, following on from last week. The Bible says a lot about money, um, a lot of Jesus' parables, about half of Jesus' parables, in fact, deal with money. Um, and uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's mentioned over 800 times um, in, the new, in the New and Old Testament as we look at money. So it's something that God talks a lot about. Um, and I think it's because God knows that money can trip us up. That money is something that we um, spend a bit of time on. Money is something that um, we all need, we all want, we all want happiness, we all want contentment, and we all think that money is going to deliver that for us. And I remember on Alpha, it's, uh, Alpha's fantastic if you've never been on it. And part of the Alpha course, you always get kind of like famous people, if you like, or um, they, they quote often some famous people. And this is something that Jim Carrey has to say. Jim Carrey off of Ace Ventura fame. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Alrighty then, let's go. He says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. He's got rich and famous, he's had more wealth, he's a very wealthy man, and he's realized that's not the answer. There's more to life than that. And Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, if you like, said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And um, as we look at money this morning, I want to look a little bit about what Jesus has to say, but also I want to look at how it affects us, how uh, we have to make decisions about what we do with our money. Check out these words from Matthew chapter 6. We've spoken them before because we've looked at Matthew, but this is what he has to say. This is Jesus saying this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth, you know what he's talking about, and rust destroy. And thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust uh, destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus there is saying, send it forward. Don't hoard up stuff in this life. Don't seek treasure now, but send it forward. Go for your treasure in heaven instead. When it comes to money, Jesus says, it's all about where our heart is. Is that if we think on money, if we live for money, our hearts will follow after money. Instead, if we live for God, if we follow after God, our heart will follow. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus carries on in Matthew 6 No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus lays it out in black and white. It's impossible for us to serve both God and money. To live for both just doesn't work. Instead, the charge is, if you like, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, we respond to the grace and the generosity that God has shown us. And instead of worshipping your money, you worship with your money. So you use what God has for you to worship. We've sung beautifully. The band have been amazing. That's one aspect of our worship. Another is what we do with our 
money. Came across this uh, little story. Um, I've changed it a little bit. I've tweaked it a little bit. But there, there were three ministers. The story kind of goes. I may have shared this before, but I, I think it's funny, so I'll do it anyway. And um, they were kind of, they met together in the pub, and they're having a little bit of chat about money. Having a chat about how they decide how they give away their money. And uh, the first one says, oh, I've got this great technique. I draw a circle on the floor. And I get all the money that I've got, and I chuck it up in the air. And whatever lands inside the circle, I give to the Lord. And whatever lands outside the circle, I keep for myself. The second minister said, oh, that's interesting. I've got a very similar technique. I, too, draw a massive circle on the floor. And whatever lands outside the circle, I give to the Lord. And whatever lands inside the circle, I keep for myself. And the third minister goes, what are you doing, guys? You've got this all wrong. you've been doing this wrong your whole life. This is what I do. I throw all my money up in the air, and whatever the Lord grabs, he keeps, and whatever falls to the floor, I do. See, we all have these, like, ideas with money. How do we give money? What do we do? And I grew up in the church. Church is all I've ever known from being zero through to the age I am now. I've been uh, brought up going along week in, week out, And uh, I can remember being in services and uh, there was teaching on money and giving. But I'm going to be honest with you, I never got it. I never got, why is the church talking about money all the time? Why are they every week, have they got these beautiful baskets with like a floral insert? And are they passing it past me every week? And as a kid, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was fun. I could be the one carrying the basket around um, for the offering. And as I got older, as I got a teenager, I started to deliberately not take my wallet to church with me. Because uh, I thought, oh no, I know what's coming. I'll leave it at home. Not that there was anything in it, just a bunch of receipts. But I'd still, in principle, I'd be like, oh, deliberately leave that there because I need that for my Coke Zero or whatever it was. And every week we'd have this offering that would go around, and I just wouldn't get it. And as I got older and older, I got 17, 18. At 16, I had a profound encounter with God the Holy Spirit. I was baptized, filled with the Spirit. My life's never been the same again. And from that point onwards, I started to pay a bit more attention. And I remember this conversation with one of the leaders of the church who uh, was, we were just talking about giving or something, and I just said to him, I said, you need to tell me why should I give? Like I'm 17 or 18 at this point. Why should I give? I go out every Saturday. I sell women's shoes. Why should I? I did. I don't know why you're laughing. I was very good at it too. I was very good at it. If you need any advice on Clark's shoes, I'm your man. Why should I give? Why should I do that? And I remember him saying, and this is stuck, and I hope this sticks with you perhaps if you're here this morning, you're thinking, why should I give? Why should I give my hard-earned cash to church or to God or to the kingdom? And he said to me this, he said, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't why should I give, but how much can I give? And I remember that even like years and years later, that the question has changed from why should I give to how much can I give? Not as an obligation, but as a response to the generosity that God has shown to me. If you've got a Bible, um, if you've brought one with you, or you want to flick to have a look, uh, in the New Testament, there's a critical passage in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul spends a lot of time talking about giving and generosity. 
And uh, I'm not going to go through it verse by verse because I don't have time to do that this morning. But the context is this. There's a church, uh, there's a Macedonian church, you read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, who are poor, who are up against it, who are really struggling. Uh, And in that, um, they give generously to the saints in Jerusalem and it blows the Apostle Paul away. Paul is not expecting them to give because they have nothing. And yet what they give, they go above and beyond in order to help out a bunch of other Christians that are struggling. If you read through 2 Corinthians 8, it's absolutely amazing. And they didn't do it to earn favor. They didn't do it to be known as uh, super cool. They just did it because their hearts compelled them to out of worship to worship God. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians. If you've got that in your Bible, it says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You might go, okay, well, great. What's these verses got to do with giving? What have they got to do with money? What have they got to do with generosity and what we're looking at this morning? Well, you read that again, by the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus was rich. He's the eternal son of God. You know, uh, you read the description of Revelation. I don't know if you've ever caught this. And it talks about streets being paved with gold. Right? Have you seen that? Now, if you've got enough gold to use it for your streets, instead of tarmac, you're not short, are you? You're in quite a good place there. Jesus had it all. Eternal Son of God, eternally with the Father, eternally with the Holy Spirit, the most beautiful, amazing place. And you know what? We're going to spend eternity with him and it's going to be fantastic. That's where Jesus came from. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. What does that mean? It means he added humanity to himself. He was born into a broken world. He didn't even live in Jerusalem in a palace. He was brought up in Nazareth. And you read the scriptures and it says things like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. It was like one of those towns you wouldn't want to live in, you didn't want to be born in. That's where Jesus went. That's where he lived. He became poor for our sake. His father was a carpenter. They weren't rolling in wealth. They weren't rolling in money. Jesus was an itinerant preacher when he got to his 30s. But he did that for our sake. And then, of course, with his ministry, for our sake. Jesus came, died the most horrendous death upon a cross. Why? For us. And it's what we call the great exchange, the divine exchange, isn't it? Where Jesus dies in our place, and instead of all the rubbish and shame and sin and stuff that corrupts our heart, we get given the righteousness of God. We get given heaven, eternal life, a hope, a future, new life. This great exchange takes place. And then that's what it says here where it says, by his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus takes our place that we might become wealthy. That doesn't mean we're going to leave and have a Boeing 747 outside to take you home. But what it means is you have Jesus, which is better than any plane ever. We, we think that's true, don't we? I know a plane would be really cool. But Jesus is better. And we can say that about anything, can't we? Oh, uh, I'd love to have this job. Jesus is better. I'd love to have this amount of money coming in. Jesus is better. I'd love to live live here or there. Jesus is better. Let's be a Jesus is better people. That's what true wealth looks like is that Jesus is better. And Paul says, because of that, because we get Jesus, the response of the Macedonians was generosity. 
The response that's called for us is generosity because of what God has done for us. Salvation is a gift. Jesus, his life is a gift. Prayer is a gift. And our response has to be giving to him generously. Jesus made the sacrifice, didn't he, so that we can have new life, so that we can put our trust in Jesus. Uh, Generosity. If I was going to kind of, I I am going to kind of go off piste and cut this and we'll just see where we go. If I was to try and put to you, why give? Because God's given for you. That's it. God gave everything. He gave his son. He gave Jesus. He gave the cross. He gave his death, his resurrection, his new life that we can have new life too. And it was all because he loves you. So why be generous with our money? Because God loves you. Why put your money to the church or to the kingdom of heaven? Because it's about people experiencing and hearing the love of God. It's about more people encountering God's grace. And obviously when we, when we started the church, there was a few of us. And um, the whole premise and what we wanted to do when we started Redeemer King was we want to glorify God. And we want people to encounter his grace. We want people to hear about Jesus. And to do that requires our time. Of course, it requires our energy, but it also requires cash. It requires money in order to operate, in order to to bless, in order to help uh, people out when they're short. And the Old Testament had this whole thing, this whole kind of principle of tithing. You might have heard of that. I certainly heard about it growing up um, in church quite frequently. And tithing literally means, the word tithe means one-tenth. That's what it means. And the principle in the Old Testament was the people gave one-tenth to the work of the Levites. And the Levites were like those that made sure we were blessing God and we were worshiping and we were honoring God. And they would do that by giving a tenth of their crops, by giving a tenth of the fruit off the trees, by giving a tenth of their animals. And to make sure that they did it, they weren't just giving like the naff animal, like the three-legged donkey. They were giving all the, you know, they were doing it properly. They would go, right, one cow, two cow, three. Oh, here's the tenth cow, right? That's for the Lord. Every tenth cow, every tenth sheep, to make sure that they were given to the Lord. And actually, some scholars kind of debate how much the uh, Israelites kind of gave to the work of the Lord. Some say 10% was actually the minimum, that there would be other offerings and tithes. And some people who are good at maths, not me, have worked out that they reckon on average, over the course of a year, the average Israelite bod would give 22 to 25% of all that they brought in back to the Lord. And that would be for the work of the kingdom. That would be for the poor, the broken. That would be for all kinds of things. The widow, the orphan. That they would give between 22 and 25% when you add up the whole uh, total. And tithing is something you might be like, ah, I've heard of tithing and it's in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. So, aha, I'm okay. We don't need to do that. You're right. The word tithe isn't there in as much as Jesus kind of talks about it a little bit, the Pharisees, but nowhere does it say, and you must give your 10% anywhere in the New Testament. But, but, I think it's a really good principle that's in the Old Testament. And I see no reason why we shouldn't apply it. And I see no reason in the New Testament why we shouldn't use that either. If you think about it, these guys gave 10, 20, 12, 8, whatever the percentage is of their income to the Lord. And they didn't even have Jesus. They were still waiting for Jesus. We've got the Savior of the world. 
How much more should we be thankful than they were? How much more generous should we be than they were? So I want to put it to you when we're thinking about uh, thinking about tithe and thinking about giving. I think the New to- Testament doesn't need to talk about tithing because it assumes we'll give at least 10%. Because God's been so generous to us. And that's why uh, the Bible talks about proportionate giving. As someone who's not got very little money versus someone who's got loads of money. It's not that you give the same amount because that would be incredibly difficult if you had nothing. But rather you give in proportion with your income. Everybody gives in proportion with their income. And coming from someone who uh, for much of his life didn't give in church. Growing up in church, uh, I started giving probably, uh, the first tithe I ever did was I tithed my student loan. Now whether that was a good thing or not, (laughs) whether that was slightly naive because it wasn't my money, I don't know. But that's where it started for me. That's when I first did, oh, I'll bosh that cash to God, that's fine. And I was like, okay, well, now I'm going to live off pot noodles. Well, I was getting to anyway, so it's fine. That's <laughs> what students do, right? Eat pot noodles. And so started tithing, started giving. And I'll put it to you then. Since then, me and my wife, in different stages of our life, we've had more money at times, less money at times, no money at times. In all those situations, we've not stopped giving. And we won't stop giving. And we'll keep giving. And the way that we do that and the way we make sure that we give is it's the first payment that leaves our account at the start of the month. It's the first one. And you know why that is? Because I know if I pay my rent, I pay my council tax, I eat my food, there's not going to be anything left. But mysteriously, somehow in the mystery of God, if you have the faith to believe, if you have the faith to say, yes, I'm going to do this, God provides for you. A lot of the time we worry about giving through fear, but this is my testimony, is in giving and in giving to church, in tithing, giving away to the kingdom of God, whether that's to missionaries, whether that's to the poor, whether that's to the church. I'm not going to prescribe exactly how much you give and where you give it. That's between you and God, and you need to know that that's between you and God. But all you need to know is it pleases the Lord, and that every time God's been faithful, we've never been short. When we started this church, um, there was a group of us, there was five couples, and uh, we all took a bit of a hit, really, in that we had to create something from nothing, and that takes some cash, and that takes some faith. And for me and Grace, and we had Evangeline at the time, Elijah was on the way. It meant leaving our full-time job with one and a half children to nothing. I did gardening for six months, which was fun. But the money that I earned was less than the rent that needed to go out. Let alone food, let alone council tax, let alone electricity, let alone gas. And we still gave money, we still contributed in our way to starting the church. And you know what? I I look back at that period and we were never short, remarkably, whether it was a food voucher in the post. And bless you people who are here, and I know you'll be here, because God uses people to be a blessing, doesn't he? That's part of why we give, that we can be a huge blessing to other people. Whether it was food vouchers, whether it was a nice little basket on our, on our little ramp for my knees into my bungalow. Whether it was 500 quid in an envelope that turned up one day. God never left us short. And I, I truly believe with all my heart is because in faith we gave to him. And when we're not captivated by fear, when we're set free from it, 
we go, actually, it's really liberating to say, I'm going to give you this God, and actually, I'm going to trust you to sort me out. I'm going to trust you to make up the difference if the difference needs making up. But I'm going to give to you anyway. Verses from 2 Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Doesn't mean you're going to get loaded, by the way. I know some preachers read it in that way to go, give your money and you'll be loaded. I, d- I don't read it like that. I read that as give your money as a way of pleasing the Lord. And you'll reap because it pleases God. And he's po- really pleased to pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. God will look after you. Financial blessing is never going to complete your joy, my friends. Only Jesus can do that. We think finances will deliver it, but it will never complete your joy. Only finances will. And this is what it says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound. In other words, when you give to God, God has got you. Because often there's a bit of fear, isn't there? If the question isn't why should I give, the question is I can't afford to. And I've been there. Honestly, there were times, there's been times where I've looked at my banking and looked at all that and gone, you know what, if I wasn't giving, if I didn't do the tithe, maybe I'd be all right. But you keep it in. You keep it in because God's got you. And I want just to finish on this as a way of viewing all things finances and viewing all things in life is this. Instead of thinking, oh my goodness, he's talking about me giving like a percentage of my income away, either to the church or to mission, to the work of the Lord. Think about it like this. The universe is God's, right? And everything in it, everything belongs to him. The breath of my lungs, it's all God's. So instead of me thinking I've got to give God 10% of my stuff, think about it like this. God lets me keep 90% of his. Wow. God lets me steward 90% or whatever percent. Make up your percent. That's fine. Of whatever it is. Wow. God is so gracious, so kind to us. And the times I've been so blown away. Let me finish with this story. Some of you know, I've been a little bit of time in Tanzania. And uh, part of that was with a bunch of pastors in a place called Takuyu. And they call it like Little England because uh, it always rains. And um, they grow uh, plantains and bananas. And that's, that's what they do for a living. All the pastors and ministers uh, are farmers by trade. And they don't have much in the way of money. And uh, we put on this conference and we paid for them to have their food. Almost you pay for them to be there really because they can't afford to take the break from work in order to look after their kids and families. So you provide the food and books and stuff just to help them in their ministry. And they came and we had a day with them and it was wonderful. And at the end of the, at the, end of the teaching time, they started passing this plate around. It's a bunch of pastors and their wives. And it was an offering taken up to bless us, me and my father-in-law speaking, that we might be able to have a meal at the hotel. Now we didn't need that gift. We could pay for the meal at the hotel, but they really wanted to. And, you know, I was speaking to them, oh, we can't accept this. Pete, we can't accept this gift. He says, no, we have to because it's a huge blessing to them for them to do this. For them to give so generously is a massive blessing. Think about Christmas. For me, at least now, the joy is in the giving. 
Not in the receiving, but it's in the giving. It's in seeing little faces light up when they get Wonder Woman outfits or whatever. <laughs> it's a joy. It's in the giving. So I just want to challenge you to think about that with your money, with your time, with everything you have to be generous to God because he's been so generous to you. He's been so good to us. So good to us. And in faith, even in this what you know, faith, when we think about, that, you know, for some of us we might go, oh yeah, I can do that, no problem. For some of you thinking, that's really hard. It's going to be really hard for me to do what you've talked about this morning. Well, you know what? Our faith is easy when it's in the light, isn't it? But it's in those moments, it's in those hard yards. That's when it's difficult. But that's when God meets you. That's when he blesses you. That's when you encounter his grace. And that's where he transforms you. Because I don't know about you, my heart, my heart is so desperate for more people to hear about Jesus. I'm so thankful for this church, for you, the people, the leaders that I lead with, my friends, to be able to do this together. But I want to do more. I want to see more lives impacted with the good news of Jesus. And that's going to take generosity across the board.